Sanskrit song that is explaining these undeniable truths, right? Undeniable. They're like, this is the way, these are like the building blocks of the universe, right? Like the soul can't be cut, the soul can't be burned, the soul can't be, all these things. You think you're, you think you're a body? It isn't so. You think all these things? He goes, Arjuna, you're saying the words of a wise man? And you know, it's not the way that it is. And right, and then what is happening? Like when the Lord finally gets to revealing the universal form? Yeah. It's terrifying. Arjuna goes, forgive yeah. me for all those times I offended you in jest. And come back to me as my friend. Mm-hmm. Right? And what is that also telling us? Right? Because there, you're brought Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. There's these three aspects of God that are talked about in the Vedas. Brahman is bigger than the biggest. Paramatma is smaller than the smallest. The indwelling witness within each person is Paramatma. Right? Bhagavan means that part of the infinite that reveals himself in a human-like way. But not exactly. Right? Yeah. And so like we're constantly, we're easy as a, like a, we can easily say, of course God is bigger than the biggest and smaller than the smallest. That's easy. But for some reason there's a huge resistance to the Lord coming in a human-like way. And what I find is very interesting about that is, how could we possibly impose on the infinite how he is or isn't allowed to reveal himself? Why couldn't the infinite come as an avatar? Infinite means however he wants or she wants, right, to reveal themselves. So, of course, they could come in a human-like form because they can, all rights reserved means infinite, mm. you know? And so then, but what is Arjuna begging for? Oh, come back as my best friend. And that's ultimately what we're hankering for, our best friend, right? We love the idea of God is bigger than the biggest, the affectionate eye that sees everything, that knows all, that's wanting good for us. But really, we're more consumed with relationships in the world, right? But like, what relationship could possibly be close to our relationship with the infinite, who is our actual best friend, right? Like, yeah. that relationship must be interesting. And I think that's what I would, like, invite yeah. us to think of spiritual life not as, like, this thing that we should do, which is a terrible word. We shouldn't, you know, like, we shouldn't and we should. Those, those words have so much baggage in them. But to curiously and excitedly contemplate, oh, my gosh, what a wonder all of this thing is. And like, what a grace to contemplate these things and what an amazing quest. Is it true? Is there a best friend that knows me better than I know myself? Mm-hmm. And I can offer myself to that person and I won't be less. And it's possible. Like that. So, right, how much time do we have? Because we, we, haven't, got to, we haven't talked about Shukracharya yet. I don't even know if I could say anything about Shukracharya. Because I find the whole thing totally mystifying. <laughs> and uh, I know some levels of astrology. Yeah. And I know some stories of Shukracharya from the ancient Vedas. Yeah. But I certainly would not call myself an expert. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things now. So I'll just, because you like the idea of Shukracharya. And this is something that I kind of feel like I discovered. Because not too many, I, I haven't really seen too many people or anybody say that Shukracharya is Antichrist or saying, but. <laughs> but you know, as you do, just drop that but, real quick. But re- really quick one though, you, you mentioned the like giving of a leaf. 
There is a story in the Shiva Puran, because I okay. watched the serial, where Vishnu does worship Shiva. Mm-hmm. And, because they're one, they're one. And... Not exactly, but close. Yeah, well, like, one's like uh, milk and one's like the, what was it called? <laughs> like the, the butter or something? Yeah, yogurt or something, yeah, yogurt. like a different milk product. Yeah. But they're not the same, yeah. but they're both milk. But but Vishnu is, is at a lingam, and he's offering... Uh, leaves and i forget why one of the leaves was missing but there's some backstory behind it but he only had 99 but he was supposed to give offer 100 leaves so then vishnu was gonna he took out a a, like a blade or something and he was gonna cut out his eye to offer it but then shiva stopped him and then he gave that's when that's how vishnu got his like his mace or something Oh, the Komodaki? Yeah, I think so. That's the name of the mace. Yeah, the, that so was... So Vishnu's his... chakra is called Sudarshan, yeah. and his mace is called the Komodaki. I think it was his mace, but I don't recall exactly, but he got some sort of boon from that, huh. from Shiva. I mean, these are like these mystical pastimes that are occurring, yeah. but assuredly, they are movements of affection, yeah. right? And the symbolism of the leaf is an external thing, but the internal thing, right, when we're talking about intention is this affectionate exchange of reciprocity that's going on. And that's the important thing. No, no, I don't want your eye. You know what I mean? Like, I want your affection. That's what Lord Shiva's, like, saying back and forth, right? So the same thing when we're trying to offer something to the repository of all those things, right? That affection is the important thing, right? We're offering with, or we're trying to become affectionate. That's the truth. Not that we have a full heart and we're offering a pure-hearted person. No, but we want to. So we're trying to become affectionate and we're trying to contribute. And that's the main... Actually, this is a really important point. Yeah. Is speaking of contributing and service and all these things, we're trying to become contributors. And I think what we'll find is it's much harder to contribute than we originally conceive. Right? So we think we're contributing, but we might even still be taking more, right? So there's like, I think there's a quasar is like a space, mm. um, uh, I don't know, if it's, it's not a meteor, but it's like this thing that moves through space that gives out more energy than it takes in. Yeah. And so it's an interesting visual to think of oh. that we want to become a quasar basically, right? Yeah. So the materialistic consciousness means I want to basically um, give the least that I can and maximize on what I take, right? So like that means you're successful. Like your profit margin is so good because you get off of other people like tons of energy and you give them like the least energy that you can. That's what our definition of success is, right? So like I got this for a dollar, but I sold it to you for two grand means I'm really clever. (laughs) Okay. And it means that I've done the least amount of energy. I, I've, I've, I've uh, expended the least I've expended $1 worth of energy, whatever that means. And you've expended two grand of energy to me. Right. And that means I'm very successful at like conglomerating energy. It's made me think of like when I had Francisco driving and stuff like that. I feel like, okay, that I'm exploiting, I'm using less energy, but then I'm feeling like, okay, but if I can get a real revelation from all this studying, then maybe the whole world, I'm going to give like the world like some super ma- massive amount of energy from 
Yeah, I mean, and there's gradation with all these yeah. things, right? There's different levels of exploitation and selfishness. Like, some of them are, like, obvious. Like, in the material energy, we must live off of other energy. This is in the Vedas. Jivo, jivasya, jivanab. Life lives off of life, lives off of life, yeah. right? So, because we're in the material energy, we're exploiting. Mm. Okay? So, like, that's also a thing, right? So, just like, but this idea starts to invert where we've dis, like defined success as where we give the least and take the most. And inverting that means I'll start to take less and give more of myself. And I think like it sounds really beautiful, it, but it's more ambitious than we realize. Like, for example, look at how many people are on the altar, so to speak, in a temple. It's not thousands of people. There's six pictures. So we would say those people are the people that have contributed. Mm -hmm. Why? Because their revelations were so substantial that we're saying the current of spiritual life is moving through them. That's what guru disciple means, right? Those are not the only disciples. Many of the people, in, like for example, Nartam Das Thakur within Vedic um, Gaudiya Mat, he had thousands of disciples, Right? Some people had one disciple, some people had thousands. The current moves like that, right? And that's what you're searching for is where is the current of truth moving through? And maybe the one who had zero disciples was actually the one who was like. Right? Yeah. Right. And, and actually, um, there's a few stories, hmm. particularly within our own Vedic history, like Gorky Shoras Babaji, who very heavily would not accept disciples. Yeah. And the way that they're dis like, you know, Shri Bhakti Siddhanta goes to him and gets uh and begs him for initiation, Gorkhas was no, I will never give initiation. And then like, you know, Bhakti Siddhanta's putting himself you know, like there there's stories of like cleaning the place where they're going to the bathroom, like such humility. And they're like, What are you doing? He's like, please give me initiation, right? So no not any feeling to become a guru, quote unquote. And then finally feeling their heart softening and, okay, I will share something with you. And then that person's service is different from the one, right? Then thousands. But we can say, okay, there's only six pictures on the altar. So how rare is it to actually contribute? So fine. Such a fine thing, actually, to learn how to be a giver. What do you think was Mah uh, Sridhar Maharaj's Enneagram? Oh. <laughs> or, is, or is that like an inappropriate question? I don't know. I um, I do. I mean, his chart was done. I don't know his chart, but my mom does. Yeah. Um, no. So, I mean, even like, believe it or not, even like Krishna has an astrological chart. Yeah. <laughs> but what do you think his Enneagram was? Though? Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just saying like, so there are these things for divine personalities. Yeah. Even we hear like the Supreme Lord has an astrological chart. Yeah. Um, like his moon is in a certain like Krishna's moon is in Taurus. We're hearing right, like this is didn't, didn't even Krishna didn't he come from like a family that worshipped the moon like the Chandras? Or... It is some mysterious thing. They they worship the sun god. I think I know Rama Rama's family. I think worshipped the sun god. And I think Krishna's did the moon. Uh huh. I mean, there there are these mysterious things that are happening in the scriptures. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could answer that honestly. Um, what would be Guru Maharaj's Enneagram? Because I'm so hesitant to like yeah. put my judgment onto like a divine personality. Yeah. Um, but you know, you could probably say, you know, maybe some type of five. 
Yeah. In some sense, because it's like the structure of the universe. What Gormash says, like, trying not to be a fanatic, Uh which, of course, I'll fail at because being a fanatic is the best. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) That's one approach, and there's nothing wrong with it, yeah. Huh? Being a fanatic is is, uh, is not one approach. There's nothing wrong with it. I, maybe I have so many thoughts about that word is a lo- so the yeah. word is loaded. That's it's loaded, wrong, it's a yeah. loaded word. So it's, it's got all this baggage associated with being fanatic. But ultimately, like passion is fine. Yeah. Um, like to truly fall for something, there is like some level of fanatic. But you just the word's full of baggage. But it is a beautiful word. For those that read Gormarsh. Or listen to him. Um, he is sharing a condensed vision of Vedic scripture mm-hmm. with a broadness that's so wondrous. He talks about if we become more faithful, you will be able to accommodate more and more. That faith is the most spacious land. So much of the time we hear of spiritual life as a constricting kind of thing. But you'll be able to accommodate more and more. And in fact, you'll find many mystics, even when they're around each other in their faith, they're all saying, such a wondrous thing. And they're not battling with each other about the little details here. And they're saying, this Lord is so wondrous if you could acquaint yourself with that place, it erodes every highest glamour of what this material energy has to offer. Just one drop of the real thing is all you need to spend the rest of your life running after that beautiful reality, the beautiful, right? Krishna means all attractive, right? That supreme personality who is beautiful, not just the true reality, but the beautiful true reality. Right, so Gurmaj is this the, uh, the name that was given to him by Bhakti Siddhanta is Shastra Nipuna, which means like has full command of the scripture. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to his lectures, not only this unbelievable command of Sanskrit, but which is a very complicated language, full of nuance and multiple layers of interpretation. But there's thousands of verses, and out of those verses condensing those to be this is the way that is piercing through that is the shortcut adopt these things and it's not saying oh you're guaranteed and this is what you get but it's saying move in this way internally right learn what is it saying like the way to deal with any reality can you find a place within yourself that can accommodate any circumstance with fearlessness with that type of courage to walk into any situation, oh, my sweet Lord has provided this for me, and I walk into that with any outcome up to you. Right? What do you think is happening? Like, what is happening in the Mahabharata? The Pandavas are the king of the world, and they're cheated of their kingdom. Very much like the Ramayan, right? Sent to the forest. Yeah. And then, leaving it all behind. With fearlessness. Yes, now my Lord wants me to live in the dangerous jungle after I was living in a palace. Okay. That's the heroic journey. And then, right, we go through these crazy circumstances, and what do they do? They expose us. And, right, and inside of some of these people, we get to get a tiny flash of how beautiful they are. Mm. Such a person went to the jungle and lived such a beautiful life. 
Right? And they're heroes in the sense that, like, we hear their story and it emboldens us. Hey, they went through anything. Right? Like, that's that very fate. You know the story of Ozymandias? No. That's so good. So there's a traveler. He's going through the desert. And he sees this, like, huge, like, uh, foot of a crumbled statue that's, like, several stories. And he's just like, where am I? And there's these ruins everywhere. And he comes to the bottom of this placard. And there's an inscription in the bottom of what used to be, like, a multi-story, like, uh, man. And then the placard says, I am Azamandius. Hear my name and despair. From any everywhere that you look, like I've conquered it from all directions. Like you know, hear hear my name ye in despair. That's what it says on the placard. Yeah. And here's the traveler looking at this waste of a desert and the placard and everything's worn out by the winds of time and it's all gone, right? So we've lived in these mm. castles and then they fall apart. We've taken over kingdoms and then they fall. We don't keep any of these things. The only thing is this internal space, right? Where we're adjusting ourselves to the environment, right? But That's when I think of, When I think of that, I think of like the, the genetic bi- biologists who are going to be like, yeah, but he probably had like 500 sons as a man this, <laughs> you know, and he probably won in the end, you know. But, no, but I mean, like, the, the, the point of the story yeah. isn't that he had progeny. Yeah. Even his progeny he doesn't keep, right? And, and right, like, Khalil Gibran, that poet that I was mentioning, our children are not our own. Yeah. There, is, there are people passing through that we have some relationship with, just some service with, yeah. right? And you get to serve people when they're very old and when they're very young. That's like some special thing, right? That's like your good fortune that you get to serve people in those two times when they're a little more vulnerable. But they're not yours. Your parents aren't yours and your children aren't yours, right? Like we're passing through. And so it's like, you know, you're kind of going like, okay, the castle that I had could crumble. Is that who I am? Is the castle owner? All these labels and designations, right? Is that who we are? Especially when you think of it in terms of the dream, or in like a dream. Yes. Yeah. And now, do you want to just really let's really quick talk about Sukracharya? Okay, so, you you introduced so, yeah. Sukracharya. So I I I told you the idea that I thought that Sukracharya was an antichrist. The reason why is because in the story of uh, Vali, remember Vali is uh, he's he's arrogant. And he likes to show off how much he can give. You, you see mean Bali Maharaj. Bali, yeah. yeah. You can say Bali, B or V. B or V. Yeah. But this is, again, the, the scriptures are they're very, like, uh, sophisticated. Mm-hmm. It's not just, like, one-dimensional. So it, it takes into account psychology. So Bali is, <laughs> is uh, you know, he thinks that he's so humble and and graceful that he gives all these things but really he's just showing off you know he's he's really self-absorbed so then uh vama vamana vamana he he comes in the form of a or, or vishnu or krishna's vishnu vishnu comes in the form of vamana mm-hmm. and then he goes to uh to Bali, to Bali, and he says, uh, 
you know, and then Bali sees him, he sees how beautiful he is, and then and then uh he says, I'll give you anything you want. And then Bali says, Okay, give me three three steps of land. And then, you know, Bali's like, What? You know, I'm this great king. Shouldn't you ask for something like really magnificent so I can show off how, you know, how wonderful I am and how magnanimous I am? And then uh Vamna's like you know, just no, I just want the three steps. So that that's like that really humbled Bali. And then Bali was like, he probably had a revelation, like, yeah, maybe, you know, it, it transformed him. But but Shukracharya is in the background and Shukracharya is saying, Bali, don't you know, don't do the ritual because he has to do the ritual with the water to to for, to give him this this uh request. So then Shukracharya makes himself tiny. And he goes into this water basin thing with a little spout. Mm -hmm. And uh, that will prevent Bali from finalizing the this ritual. That will give Vamana basically the whole world because Vamana is going to turn into a giant. And then the three steps are going to take up the whole universe. It's going to take one's going to be for like the world. One's going to be for the whole, you know. To these three steps of the whole universe. So he's going to have the whole universe again. And he's going to give it back to the demigods because Bali and the demons took it from the demigods. But again, Shiva and Shukracharya, they, they have a point. They're fighting the demigods in the worship of the demigods. Now, if that's not appropriate, it's not uh, it's not a effective means of stopping the worship of demigods trying to force people not to. And that was kind of where, where, where they have it wrong. Shukracharya had it wrong. But at least they are humbling the demigods like Indra and Agni and these other gods who want it, or Surya who who might be a little bit arrogant as well. So again, she, there's Shiva and Shukracharya. They they they're not bad. Nobody's really bad. They're all just playing. Everybody's uh, like helping everybody to evolve and to grow and mature. Yeah, everybody's everyone's like part of an evolution. Yeah, everyone's progressing. Right, and I think that's also another thing. If you're saying we're move, we're attempting to move towards infinity. Mm -hmm. means there's endless progression that must happen. And synthesis and, and antithesis. Yes, yeah. and synthesis and antithesis must be part of this, right? Because mm -hmm. that's like, you know, that's the Hegel Hegelian dialectic, right? Yeah. And so this story is very interesting because I think like one thing I, when you're saying, oh, Sh Shukracharya and Shiva and Bali, they're not bad. Bali Maharaj's own lineage is very amazing. Yeah. Right. So if you're saying that there's a race that can it's take like very over, exalted, yeah. Right. So it's like not just anyone can start to take over the universe. Yeah. Right. So like de demigods or like the predominating deities of, uh, you know, like weather energy, if you will, or planetary energy like the yeah. sun, they're they have to be kind of glorified people. Yeah. Right. Because in Vedic cosmology, everything's personified. Right, yeah. so the sun is a person, mm -hmm. right? The moon is a person. Um, you know, they're all people, and so then Bali Marsh must also be a very interesting person, yeah. right? And then his spiritual master Sukracharya must be a very interesting. His name means person. something like luminous, so mm. I'm thinking that he might represent like revelations or something. And and again, we don't want to reduce him to just a metaphor, but right, he comes from a glorified family line, mm. right? Probably. So. Um, yes, Prahlad is his grandfather, and then he, his great-grandfather is Hiranyakashipu, mm -hmm. who 
was a great demon. Yeah. And then his great-great-grandfather is one of these major sages. And his dad was Verochina. Verochina, right? Verochina, yeah. And that's an interesting story about the dynamic between the sun god and the and the sky god, too. But that could be for another time, too. Yeah, because... Well, because so there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. So, Bali Marge is so powerful for multiple levels of reasons. Mm-hmm. One, how do you overtake energy? Your sacrifice. This is this, like, endless war is who's hungry. And generally speaking, the quote-unquote demons, if, that what you, if that's what you want to call them, are willing to sacrifice tremendous amounts of energy. And because the world works off of sacrifice, they're able to start dominating. Yeah. And Shukracharya, he learns a mystical mantra. You have to hand it to them. They're like, they're very... Uh, they're willing to sacrifice. They're willing like to work. passionate, and, but what's the word like? They're committed, they're, yes. they're dedicated, yeah. like... There's a word for it. They're, they're dedicated, but unfortunately, the dedication is tinged with a selfishness, right? Mm. Um, and so they're, they're willing to go to great lengths. So then you can say, okay, well, now he's someone that's so powerful that he's quite literally overtaking what we call the king of heaven. Mm-hmm. So he must be a pretty freaking powerful personality, yeah. right? You know, and so like, I think it's nice to get some context. Okay, Balimarj is a powerful personality. Who's Balimarj's guru? Shukracharya. Shukracharya, why is he so powerful? Well, he's revealed the Sanjeevani mantra. Yeah. And this mantra has the ability to bring people back to life. So in this galactic war of quote-unquote demons versus demigods, he's bringing people back to life. And so they're sort of... And the demigods are immoral because they ate the Amrita. Is that how you say it? Amrita? Amrita. Amrita. Amrita, yeah, long yeah. A. Yeah, Amrita. So they're taking the Amrita and, you know, they're, but they're getting subsumed by Bali Marge at this point and they know they are. And so they're they're desperately praying for some help. And so you can see in right this now, story. Yeah, it's, it's a fight for the earth right now. Right now they're, t- you know, the demigods are, or the demons are about to take over the whole earth. Or the whole universe. In the whole universe, yeah. Yeah, because the earth is like a middle planet in Vedic cosmology. Yeah. This is like the middle zone which so, is interesting and you see that in the bible the the war for the earth between mm. the angels and the demons and and I, that's where we're going to get to in, the, in a minute but <laughs> so then vishnu or or vamana is vishnu's avatar he sticks inside of this spout that shukacharya is in uh like a, a straw and it pokes out shukacharya's eye so now Shukacharya has only the left eye, I believe. And the idea behind that is, you know, like in the, the Muslims say that the Dijal is only going to have one left eye. And the, you know, the, even the Christians, they say that the Antichrist is going to have one eye. It's going to be like a left eye. And people say that that just represents that he's too rational or whatever. But in this case, Shukacharya, yeah, Shukacharya is like very rational. And what Shukacharya, and he makes a good point, is in what he's, and he's actually accurate. He says, like, oh, I, I can't stand these demigods. They're so arrogant. They're, they're so conceited. They they worship Vishnu, but they just, really, they just enjoy. worship themselves. They just enjoy. Yeah, and, and, and they're, they're indulgent, and they have agendas. They act like they're modest, but really they have agendas to, and, and, and if you, even if you want to look at, like, you know, human society, 
So it, the, basically, Shukacharya is Machiavelli. Machiavelli says, <laughs> you know, yeah, we he, he talked about like the the princes like it's better to be feared because he was saying that, and he was saying that like even like the the he, Machiavelli talked about the Catholic Church and he said that the Catholic priests and stuff he would say that they act like they're you know righteous and everything, but he said really they have affairs and they have children and and they and they kill people and and it's really just all a front. And it's just it's just about power, and that's what Shukacharya teaches, and that's what he tells the demons. And then he's like Nietzsche. Nietzsche says like, yeah, you know these these Buddhists they they they're doing their meditations, but it's just an escape. It's just because you know they can't have things in this world, so they're hoping for things in another world. And really, it's just all the desire for power. And that's what Shukacharya basically says. And he says, yeah, so basically, let's stop playing, let's stop fronting, and and let's just try to let's do let's do what it's really about and just try to get power and and take over and you know so basically rape the women dominate kill the kill your enemy and um and all that so he's like satan so then he gets his eye and and he also is the morning star he's venus he's he's a personification of venus and venus in astrology i don't know the details but the reason why people think that Satan in the Bible was also called the morning star. He's Atar. It even used the word Atar, and that's what the Arabs called Venus. And it says the morning star fell. And I guess in astrology, Venus rises high, but then falls drastically. And people say that that's a metaphor of arrogance. Someone who's, you know, reaches a, a peak, he's, he's, he's exalted, and then he falls because he's too, he's too, he thinks he's too superior and he's too. Um, arrogant. Hmm. So you know, for the fall goes after the pride, or or before. Pride goes after the pride comes before the fall. Yeah, pride comes before the fall. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's that's what Shukacharya is. He's Venus, and so he gets his eye poked out, and then Vamana. Uh, the the ritual is completed, and then Vamana turns into a giant, and then he takes three steps takes back the whole world and gives the demigods back the the earth and the heavens and everything. So if you want to look at the Bible, yeah, Satan basically is the same thing. Satan says about Job, you that's the only time you really see Satan other than in the Garden of Eden in the Old Testament. He says to Job um or he says to God, God, let me go and test Job because Job I don't think he really really worships you. I think he just he, I, I don't think it's like authentic. I think that he's just worshiping you because he's doing really well, and because he thinks that you know you, you'll do good things for him if he worships you. He's really just selfish. So then God says, "Okay, go and test him and see if he really, if he really is, you know, earnestly worshiping me." So then, Satan goes down and and tortures, you know, tortures and do all the stuff, and Job maintains. His faith and he, but he, Job continues to question and, and, you know, his friends are saying, oh, the reason why these bad things are happening is because you're a bad guy. And Job says, no, that's not really true. He doesn't like accept their answers. But then finally in the end, God comes and says, you know, don't question, you know, God shows himself to Job. And then God actually gives Job more than he had at the beginning. Mm. A lot of people don't know that. So. But again, it's, it's kind of like Shukacharya. Satan in this in the story is like Shukacharya in this story. He says, yeah, the this religiosity is not, it's, it's fake. It's a fraud. Mm. I mean, it is very interesting to contemplate. 
Um, there are a few things. Like, for one thing, um, the fact that Bali Marj is more powerful than the King of Heaven is a big deal. And this relationship that Vamana Dev has with Bali Marj is extremely important in this story. So this sacrifice is happening yeah. where Bali Marj is performing, where he is the gift giver, right? Where he, he will give whatever is that. And it's the custom of a king in Vedic society that if someone who's a Brahmin asks for something, that it's their joy to give. Mm-hmm. In fact, in all in many Vedic stories... Anything that's asked, a Kasatriya mentality is like, you like this sweatshirt? Like, you have, you like this jewelry? Like, you take it. Like, it's mm-hmm. a, it's an extreme generosity as a relationship with the environment. It's very, and you'll see, um, even like Karna, he was known as an extremely generous type of leader, right? And cool, yeah. uh, it is very cool. And in, in terms of like a mentality, it's such a beautiful way to live. Like, ah, you like this thing? Like, it's yours. I know people like that too. It, I do too. And it's yeah. like, every time I see it, I'm always like, that is so beautiful, you know. Like I feel like I take advantage of those people. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's another thing. <laughs> but so Bali Baraj is that person, yeah. right? And Vamana Dave, you have to think also. There's a sense of humor that the Infinite has. He's coming in the form of a dwarf. It's like very humorous, right? That Infinity is revealing himself in this small stature, mm-hmm. and. Bali Marj sees him walking in and he's charmed, right? Because reality is beautiful, right? And so immediately he sees this boy walking with an umbrella. Yeah. Right? Forgot about the umbrella. Infinity is wandering in as a small dwarf boy with an umbrella into your space, so to speak, right? This idea that infinity's always surprising. Is so compelling. You will never know how the Lord wants to reveal himself or herself, right? But it will be surprising. So then Bali Maharaj is feeling his heart. Oh, such a beautiful boy has walked in. Like, and Shukracharya is there, and immediately he's seeing this is not an ordinary person walking in. And so he's whispering to Bali Maharaj in the beginning, like, yeah. This is not normal. Don't give this person something. Like, whatever this is, it's not what it seems. And Bali Maharaj's answer is very interesting. Shushar is a smart guy. Like, he's very perceptive. Right, he's high... Well, like, someone who gets a mantra that can bring people back to life will be perceptive. He, he The way he did that was, like, he, he pretty much sacrificed his life, almost. Like, he was, he was hanging upside down. Do you know about that? Like, <clears throat> poison, poison was going into his... They they were doing a ritual where where he had to be upside down. Shiva told him that if he did this for like a year, he had to be hanging upside down with like poisonous fumes going into his mouth, and 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 even Indra's daughter came to try to seduce him to try to kill him. Oh, to kill him. Yeah. You know, seduce, kill. You know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that oh, story. Oh, but that that's another thing. Like Indra always tries to make things happen. He screws yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like Indra Indra sent his daughter, but because of that, because he he screwed up doing that, because that was like uh, not fair. It was kind of uh, sideline playing. Yeah, it was like it was just unjust. It was cheating. He was cheating. Mm-hmm. There's a better word, but he was he was cheating. So then, um, because of that. Shiva gave, 
Shukacharya that power. Mm-hmm. So, taking it back to this moment, yeah. Shukacharya is saying, do not give him what he wants. Yeah. Right? He, whatever he asks for, it's not going to be that. He's something he's deceiving you. And Bali Marj already, he's, he's thinking, it doesn't matter if I'm deceived. I'm feeling my heart moving towards this personality. Yeah. Right? Because when we come into contact with beauty, no one needs to tell us that it's beautiful. Right? And if we're truly in contact with it, what is our nature going to be organically? Not forced, but organically is to serve it. So what's really fascinating here is Shukracharya's role. What he's saying is, is something is deceptive. And he's not wrong. Mm-hmm. But he's trying to stop the flow of what is happening. And that's his offense. He's imposing what he thinks should happen. Right? What is Bali Maharaj doing? He's not imposing. He's taken over the world as we know it. The Lord is walking in, and immediately he's, he's adjusting, right? Flow, right? In the moment, he's feeling his heart overcome, right? So the story is very amazing because he says, give me whatever you want. Babana Dave says, I only want three steps of land. She goes, are you kidding me? Like, I can give you more than three steps of land. Like, I'm a king. He goes, no, no, don't worry. I just take three steps of land. And then Babana Dave so majestically expands his body that within two steps, the whole universe is taken. He goes, I already have everything now. What will you give me? And so this moment is an epic moment, actually. Right? So at this moment, Bali Maharaj is more powerful than the, king of in- than the king of heaven. And he displays a more heroic pastime than the king of heaven can. Right? Which is such a beautiful position. The king of the heavenly planets. And he is the king of the demons, supposedly, mm-hmm. and exhibiting more what? Heart. And so then he says, you take my head as your third step. And then there's an illumination given where it says, in Bali Maharaja's obeisances, where he's offering his head as the place, the third place to offer, mm-hmm. Gurdjieff uh, would say, he said, um, Bali Maharaj is showing his Atma Savarpane, so we talk all the time of we want to become a surrendered soul, right? Yeah. And these surrendered souls are the ones that are actually traversing reality, Sharanagatas. Mm. We want to become a Sharanagata, right? Yeah. And Sharanagata, we translate it to surrender, but it means what? Sharana coming to uh, Agati, Sharanagati coming to home or shelter. Agati is to shelter, coming to shelter. Mm. And one of the six limbs of Sharanagati, or coming to shelter, is Atma Samarpane, which means full self-giving. So it goes, in this moment, Bali Maharaj exhibits full self-giving. And this story isn't just known on the earth, it becomes famous in the universe. This is how glorious his self-giving is. So what is Shukracharya's offense? That he's trying to stop the flow of reality. Mm -hmm. Demon, demigod doesn't matter. The flow of the heart is the important thing. So this is a quote-unquote demon who's offering himself to the supreme. And then the boon that happens afterwards, not small. He goes, you can't stay here. You have to go to another loka, right? To Patala loka. Mm. That's where you can rule. Well, then. 
And he goes, but I'll give you a boon because you're my own, right? We hear these, these reciprocal word, worlds of affection are always happening between the Lord and his devotee. And so then what does Balimarsh say? I want you to be there with me. Mm-hmm. And Vamanadev goes with him and he's worshipped in Pataloloka by Bali Maharaj, mm-hmm. right? So who's Bali Maharaj in the end? And is he a quote-unquote demon, and who are these personalities and what's their role to play? And you could say, like, you know, Shukracharya's offense is to get in the way of this reciprocation of love between the Lord and his disciple. Yeah. That his imposition is his offense. Right? That his judgment of what is right and wrong is his offense. Yeah. And and there's... A lot of, yeah, so he's acting unscrupulous. I guess he's acting like immoral. Like that. Well, you could actually say he's acting moral because the Lord is kind of coming yeah, under false true. pretenses, that's true, that's right? True, he's yeah. saying like, he's looking like a, like a young, small boy. And so you could say Shukrachar is just trying to protect Bali Marj. But you could, in the, in like an, in a sense... The flow, right, which you were talking about, right, the flow that we're all kind of searching for to connect with, that yoga, is to be utilized by this divine service energy however it wants to be utilized by us, right? And so the offense is to say that a moralistic view is more important than a flow, right? Because we know what's good and bad changes in culture as fashion does, Yeah. right? So, like, what was prominent in 10th century Europe is not prominent now, right? Those were not absolute good. And and there's another thing, like, there's another quote in the Bible. The good I would, I do not, but that which I would not, I end up doing. And it's the idea of, like, sometimes you think you're doing good. Yes. Like, the they say hell is paved with good intentions. You're right. Right. You know, you're like, right. Because no one walks around going, like, woo-hoo-hoo, I evil, ah-ha-ha-ha. Yeah. Right? We think we're trying to be good. And... Like, you know, like that's a strain. We're all in an auto ego self-protect of thinking that we're good and we might not be. Yeah. Right. And that sh- that needs to get shattered. Yeah. Right. So like he's imposing against what higher energy. It, there's a de- definition of what is an offense. It is when a lower energy imposes itself on a higher energy. Mm-hmm. So the example that's given in the scriptures is like if you uh, I mean, that's given for life is. You go to school and you learn math in first grade and it's one plus one is two and two plus two is four and all these kind of basic building blocks. But by the time you move into physics, nothing is solid. So the farther you move more into like things, you're now moving into like the flow of things, right? So if you impose your first grade math on the PhD physics teacher, it's considered an offense, right? Because there's no solids that are intimated in later math. But that's how you learn math in the beginning is block, 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 and this block plus this block equals this amount of blocks. So when you impose a lower mentality on a higher mentality, they call it offense. Yeah. I want to mention too, um, just a story before this story with Mm Verochina. So yeah, Indra 
acts unethical in this case too. Right. So, so Shukracharya, and this is going back to astrology, I think. I think he came back from meditating or maybe astrology. I don't know what he was doing. But somehow he came up with this prophecy that um, that Vrochna was going to die. Mm-hmm. But he said, but but to stop this, the only thing you can do is if you go to the Himalayas and you perform what they call tapasya. Like, tapasya. Tapasya. Like, so tapasya means burning. It literally, tapa, it's like burning. Mm-hmm. And it's a sacrifice. Yeah. Right? So like that's why you see those pictures of yogis in India where they're surrounded by like a, a ring of fire and they're in the hot sun. Okay, they're performing so, tapasya. So this was like not burning though, but it was like in the freezing cold. Sure. That's a different kind of tapasya. It's a burning okay. and cold. Okay. Yeah. So, so he goes... And he stands on one foot, you know, yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then he does it for like many years, just like standing in the Himalayas in the freezing cold. And then Surya, so again, we're going to see the conflict between Surya, the sun god, and Indra, the the, the storm god, the, uh-huh. the, the storm and clouds. So Surya gives uh, him a boon. He gives Virochana a boon, which is like a, a golden helmet mm-hmm. it, that so long as he wears it, he won't die. So then Virochana is going... On a on a journey, and then, in Indra acts unethical, and then he goes, and then he like he uh, presents himself like he camouflages himself or he um what's the word like he uh, transforms himself into like a different figure that he deceives he deceives Vrochna into thinking that he's someone else, and he gives him a drink or something and then in, Vrochna drinks it he falls asleep. And then he takes off that hat and he kills him. Uh huh. And that's kind of what made Bali so upset that he was going to take over the because uh-huh. that was his dad. Uh huh. And so, like, what I would say, like, add to this is what infinity means is there's an arc of progress for everyone. There's this word that's used in Vedic cosmology called Leela all the time, right? Which is called it's like translated to like the play. And Gurmaj would even say, we have to play our part in the soft mood of a player. Hmm. Which I think is very interesting. Because if you think, if this is, this is my job in this life to do these things, right? There's, a, there's end, what is it? It's moving to vilas, which means a point. Hmm. And play moving to a point means all of these characters are going to get the chance to go through transformation. Hmm. Right? So Bali Marge has his arc of progress. So what I would say is Shukracharya has his arc of progress and his offense that he has to pay for in the bigger picture of things, right? Because ultimately all these planets are people, right? And they have their arc of progress to make, right? These vibrations have their own movements, right? Indra has an arc of progress that he has to make. What is the Lord recognizing in the demigods? That they're turning to him always, right? That their soft hearts, yeah. despite their kind of indolent mode of goodness, enjoyment, that they're turning towards him. And what doesn't get recognized by the demons is they always take over, but it's with selfish intent to hoard and control. And so they don't get to keep it either. But they all have a part to play, right? Or an arc of progress. And yeah, they're keep they're keeping the evolution going because like yeah the the demigods they get too comfortable up there and they try to make things happen they act dishonorably 
and they do things like Indra killing Verochna and that. Yeah, and Indra does multiple things that are like quite troublesome yeah. and gets like cursed heavily. <laughs> and and all, a lot of this is, is about too just transcending the worship of the demigods of the sun of the clouds because people back then and they worship Venus they worship Shukracharya. But now we're transcending that to worshiping Vishnu and Shiva, or just Vishnu, who is one with Shiva, but butter and milk. Yeah. But or just Vishnu. Yeah, I mean, like Lord Shiva's like a, all of these personalities are worshipable. Uh-huh. All of them are. That's why, like, being like humble. If we were around any of these personalities, we should feel like we are very graced to be by them to reveal themselves to us i mean honestly when you think about different personalities landing on earth like you can see why they would be like ah not right now like a little messy on earth right now (laughs) like so much horrible selfish consciousness you know like it's not so beautiful selfishness is not beautiful yeah you know it's not very attractive but again but sugatoria has has a point Yes, no. he has. A, I guess I would say, like, I think the only thing is, like, there's this idea that um, the Antichrist is fixed in his job. Yeah. And that, to me, I'm a little hesitant to say. Yeah. Because so, you're going, Shukracharya is a very elevated person who yeah. has his part to play. Like, he's empowered to play that part. Yeah. Just like Duryodhana in the Mahabharata is Kali. He's yeah. empowered to play that even, part. Even in the Mahabharata, Shukracharya is still the guru of like Bhishma. And Bhishma's fighting on the side of the Kauravas. Right. And he's a devotee of the Lord. And think about what that means. This is like a very profound thing. Bhishma is an impeccable warrior of extreme practice. And he's the son of the Ganges River who's on the side, who's related to Shiva. That's why he's on the side of the Kauravas who are fighting the good guys, the Pandavas, and on with Krishna. But his service in the play... He does want the Pandavas to win, yeah. His service is to fight them. Mm-hmm. Right? That's why his prayers are so... I mean, he's like a spotless... I mean, everything about Bhishma's story is amazing, right? Because he's born as Devavrata. He's, it's a whole mystical story on, like, the lineage of Bhishma in terms of, like, his siblings. Because Ganga, like, murders all of his siblings yeah. right after they're born. The and king they, can't say anything. I would say they represent, like, the elements. And that's, like, moving beyond material. Like, the murder of them would be, like, metaphorical. But, again, we could they see... They were rishis in there. They had committed mm-hmm. some offense. So, whatever... Anyways, whatever it is. Yeah. Then Devavrata is born. Right then, the king, his wife has left him because she said, "As soon as you question me, I leave." Mm-hmm. And so Ganga leaves, and now he's a widow. He's like a widower, and he's got this one son, and he's wandering along the banks of a river, and he smells this smell that overtakes him, and he walks, and there's a girl who's the daughter of a fisherman, who's this. She's the daughter of a yogi, who like basically like conceived her in the middle of a river, and he goes, "I want to marry your daughter." And the fisherman says, you can't marry my daughter because you already have a son. He's going to be king and my, my daughter is going to be considered useless and her lineage is useless. And No. And so the king's like, you're right. And goes home. And Bhishma hears about this. And he goes, he goes, I vow for my entire life to be celibate and that I will never take the kingship of this crown no matter what so that her children will become the kings of the world. And when he says this vow, like the sky thunders 
And then they go, he will now be named Bhishma. Bhishma means yeah. one who has taken a terrible, terrible vow, vow, right? And so this personality who is of divine origin, whose Ganga is his own mother, his service is to fight against Krishna, who he knows is the Lord, mm-hmm. right? So there's like a famous moment on the battlefield yeah. where Bhishma is shooting everything of Arjuna's to shreds. The the chariots ripped apart, the horses have died, everything's like just everyone's bleeding and Krishna loses his temper. And he rips the chariot wheel off of the chariot and runs towards Bhishma and it says his clothing is falling off and it looks like he's wearing a garland of blood because he's covered in so many arrows bleeding. Right? Yeah. Infinity himself He's running towards Bhishma. And Bhishma then quotes a verse. And he goes, O you Supreme Lord, who has made a vow that he will never fight in this war, but for the love of his own devotees, is willing to break his vow. I hope such a vision of reality never leaves me. He says that as Krishna is running towards him with this like, with this chariot wheel. So his service is to be on the core of his side, knowing full well who Krishna and the Pandavas are. And that's where you're going, oh, there's a divine play, and we don't know what our part is to play in the service. right? And to go to the Bible, um, there's a very amazing part where it is alluded to that Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, right? Because he says that quote, like, before the end of the night, like, one of you will betray me. Like, yeah. he knows that someone will come. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of stories that are given, like, no one's going to be naming their kid Judas, right? He goes, and he even looks at him and says, like, you have the most terror, you have a most intense service. Your service is to be the betrayer, to reveal who is Jesus. Right? Because we won't know what a glorious, faithful personality is until he goes through this experience. And Judas's service is the most hellish because through all of history, he will be vilified as this traitor. Yeah, Krishna Sharan told me about that. Yes. Yeah. But, it's, but this is like an amazing broad view of reality. Hmm. Right? And we all have some part to play. Right, and so you're going, okay, Shukracharya, we don't want to pigeonhole Shukracharya as the Antichrist forever because he's an elevated being. Yeah. And he's going to teach us well, something. Well, the Antichrist, Satan is elevated being. He's, he's the Venus. He's, he's the morning star. He was actually an archangel. He was God's, he was the apple of God's eye, the Bible says. <laughs> yeah. Right, and so you, I guess like that's what I would say maybe is like a, it's a meditation to close on is everyone has their part to play. Right? So the Antichrist has a part to play in our progression towards the infinite, and the Antichrist has his own progression in the faithful world towards the infinite, no matter how much power he's condensing. I think that's like and, and now just 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 to end what I want to talk about because you mentioned the Illuminati idea with the with the one eye <laughs> or some of it, but but I think it was you, but it was or it's either you or Sudarshan or but that was me. Yeah, I think it was you. But so, but this is the idea too, is the Ganges River, you know, Bhishma is the son of the Ganges River. So the, the son, the father and the son are one, the father and the mother are one. So 
the Gandhi's River is on the side of Shiva, and this is the idea that even a sinner, someone who's sinful, can still be saved. There's still mercy. And, mm-hmm. and Shiva worshippers, they can still be saved. Yes. And, it, and it's also true that someone could be worshipping Vishnu, but he can still not be saved because he can still be in, mm-hmm. in a mode of ignorance. Mm-hmm. But it just, you know, maybe it's just, it's all show. And that's what Satan talks about in the Bible. It's, it, you know, this Job guy, it's all show. And and I and when I think of like the Illuminati and I look at like the music videos where the people are like doing the one eye, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's very clear to me, like, yeah, they're doing all. It's all like sexual self indulgence. It's like Shiva worshippers, you know, and and or Shukracharya followers, you know, <laughs> and, and and they're like, yeah, but but what they're saying, what they're saying is like, yeah, we're doing this, but we're not any worse. Like, we there's still there's still is hope for them, you know. I we don't I don't want to judge them because any because because they're right. Even even like even Ravana, Ravana is extremely like malevolent, but he still is saved, and that's why it's like important not to judge, in my opinion. Like even if there's like Illuminati, I don't know if there is because I'm not a part of it. If there is that I know of, but <laughs> but you know like yeah, the one eyes thing. Maybe, maybe they I are. Mean, the symbolism is interesting, right? The idea of a pyramid is that there are very few that rule the many, mm-hmm. right? And I think we don't really have to stretch that far to think that that's true. That's true. Right there's a con- there's a condensing of energy, and it's very few people that are actually making the major decisions. And at the bottom of the pyramid are the worker bees, so to speak. And you could say Shukracharya is very consumed with condensing energy, right? Um, whether he's a hedonist or not a hedonist, and all these different kinds of things, you know, there's a lot of debate because being actually a spiritual like teacher, they have their own sadhanas. Um, so what's the end goal exactly? But you could say there's a condensing of energy and maybe it's not in the dedicating sense, in which case it is worthless ultimately, right? Because condensing energy without dedication is empty. So that would be uh, this sort of enjoyment in another plane. So there is an aspect of it like that, right? Where the symbolism is talking about you are, you get to the top of this pyramid, you enjoy everyone below you yeah. on the pyramid and that's what, what, that's what life is meant for. Yeah. Or you're on a lower end of the pyramid, you're getting enjoyed by That's what Shukracharya tells, like, he was telling that to, I think it was here on Yakashipu and other people. He was like, or he said it to Bali too, or he said it to Prahlad. He was like, yeah, it's best to be like the king. And, and like, the king is greater than the, the Brahmins. Like, and, and he has, like, yeah, use your power and it's best to be at the top. You know, that's, that's Shukracharya's teachings, you know. Right, and so you're going like, okay... And so I think like the deeper thing is these positions are all gifts in service of a higher being. So what's Hiranyakashipu's ultimate offense? He says he's the source of it and everyone needs to worship him. Yeah. Right? And then Prahlad Maharaj says, no, no, your energy comes from somewhere. And you need to recognize that it comes from something that's not your own. Right? Which is kind of all of our problem. We're all in like a narcissistic delusion that we think our like abilities come from ourselves. And they don't. We don't know where they come from. And they can go away too. Just as easily as a rap can flow through you, the rap cannot flow through you. Yeah. You're not the generator yeah. of that energy. But it can flow through you if you make yourself available to it. Yeah, so the big so. aggrandized illusion, right, is Sukracharya's sort of like seduction, which you could say is very anti-Christ-ish, which is like, you don't need that infinite Lord. Here's how you condense energy. Yeah. And, and what, because we only have like one more minute, I just want to mention though, 
and, and it's kind of like the same thing that happened in the Bible where, because cause Shukachari was kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be the guru of the gods. <laughs> so then Brihaspati kicked him out. And you see the same thing in the Bible where, where Satan is kicked out of heaven. And this is, it's the morning star. It's Venus. And then, but then also the Bible does say that, that Jesus is also the morning star or, and, but and a lot of people say, oh, so Jesus is Satan. But that's that's kind of like metaphysical, and that Jesus is the morning star, and like everything else too. Like Jesus is one with everything, so he's the morning star, and he's also so he's not Satan. No. But yeah. So. I know that's like that's the problem with these things. Yeah. And I would like.